Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as he makes all things new. We are excited to pursue his heart for the greatest city on earth and the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. Little mini series. We were going through Ephesians. I decided to take take a little left, and this is a series that I'm calling "Trusting Through Transition." How do we trust through transition, God? When everything is upended and all the stuff that you know um, that we grew up with, or everything that happens in transition before we start to think that this is exactly the same thing. Okay, I've been through change. And uh, change is bad or change is good or change is neutral or God is gone during change, whatever it may be. How do we learn to embrace that? The struggle of change. That is not easy whatsoever because it takes what you have been comfortable with and what you have learned to passively cultivate. And it requires for you to step in a more deliberate direction. Nothing is more deliberate than having to go to this U-Haul, one of the U-Hauls in Chicago, you know what I'm saying, and they got a lot. And, uh, and you're checking out a truck, I've done this several times, you're getting a dolly, you're getting all this stuff. Like, there's nothing more deliberate than that. It means that you have reasonably heard or know that you're supposed to move, and it is one of the most deliberate actions that you can do. But there's a struggle also in, with that. Am I doing the right thing? Am I going to the right place? Is this really going to be better for me? Is it really going to be better for me and my family? And I believe, yes, it is. It's just like when we moved to Oak Park, and, our, and it was a struggle. Woo! Anybody that's met with me in the last year has probably heard about this. It hasn't been quite a year since August, that it was a struggle to move into our home um, because there are things that resist change, and it's not just like life or stuff happening. There are actually spirits that resist change. Why? Because when we start moving and changing things, we put down passivity, and we start to pick up a more deliberate way of following the Lord. The enemy loves when we're just like, I'm just going to sit here and be comfortable and be passive. He's not afraid of that whatsoever. The, the crazy thought or idea that maybe if I haven't run into the enemy is because I belong to him. He loves us to just be like, okay, I, I can't control this. There's nothing I can do in the midst of it. But we are supposed to grab hold of the kingdom. We're supposed to grab hold of the words that God gives us. That we've spoken some words out for people right now, encouraging words. And as a body, there are all words that we get to grab and say, okay, I'm going to take hold of that, God. I'm going to actually pursue this in the midst of my life. That even God releasing a word to us is just the beginning. It's the beginning of us taking care of it and, and cultivating it through life. But it is a struggle to change because the enemy doesn't like change. He wants us to really stay the same and be comfortable and not stir up things. Today I'm going to be talking about Jacob and his struggle for change. That his life was wrought with every single family dysfunction you could fit in a biblical story. (laughs) This dude had it, you know, he had it all. 
He had uh, the controversy of his fathers and his grandfathers before him all doing the same thing. Jacob is known as a liar. Why? Because that's literally what his name means, deceiver or liar. But did you know Isaac was a liar and Abraham was a liar too, right? So these are people who came before him, and, but Jacob is the one that's known as a deceiver. And he goes through so many things. He's literally in the womb with his twin, and he grabs his heel so that he could be the firstborn. Esau is born first and, of course, is supposed to get the birthright. Jacob finds a way to steal the birthright away from Esau. And then he leaves home. And he's running after his, after his father dies. And this is where we hear the story about Jacob laying his head on a stone and seeing the ladder come down from heaven. Later on, Jesus says, I'm that ladder that you saw angels ascending and descending on. Eventually, he finds his way to Laban, falls in love with Rachel. He said this woman was so beautiful that he cried when he saw her. Like, dang, she bad. <laughs> Dropping tears. Hopefully you saw her. She was bad. <laughs> He said he, he cried, he watered her, her, her flock and her herd, and um, he goes and says, Laban, all right, I, I want this woman is supposed to be my wife. I know it. Laban says, you know what? Work for me for seven years, and then I'll give her to you, okay? He works for seven years. On the wedding night, he switches daughters and gives him the oldest daughter, Leah, who was more homely and not as beautiful, apparently, as Rachel. He works another seven years for Rachel, 14 years for two wives he works. And while he's there, his possess- the possessions of Laban are exploding, but Laban doesn't really know God. But Jacob does. And when he laid his head on that rock, he made a pact with the Lord that he would serve him. And so Laban is changing his wages a million times and forcing him to stay longer because he knows as long as Jacob is in his house, then he's going to be prosperous. Jacob finally says, all right, look, man, I'll give you a deal. I'll take the, the speckled and spotted sheep. I'll just take those. You can have the rest and then let me go. Jacob figures out a way to make the flocks and herds have stronger speckled and spotted sheep. This dude was good, man. <laughs> More spec- and then finally, he gets to leave. But you know what? He leaves, and now he's afraid of his brother because he's been gone from Esau for so long, and because of the way he treated him, he is a ball of anxiety in this transition and moving. That's not familiar with moving anybody. You're a ball of anxiety. How are things going to work out? I don't know. I'm afraid. Family dynamics that we all have to confront and deal with. And he's so afraid, he's like, let me give him a gift. I'm going to send him some sheep, some horses, some goats ahead so that he won't be mad at me anymore. And where we pick up this passage is right after that has happened. That that, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After they had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When a man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Every time I read this, I just think of an old black person, how they say rinse. They say, can you go wrench that out for me? It's like, what? This is rinse. Okay. 
That was just a little aside. As he wrestled with the man, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Anxiety and fear of meeting Esau. Very often that goes together with us and our families, that we have seen the way people reacted in the midst of transition. It can cause us to embrace it even more, or it can cause us to go, eh, I don't know about this transition kind of stuff. When someone talks about moving, I get really nervous about that. I get really nervous about things beginning to change. But sometimes it isn't just us. We are fighting everything that has come before us. That Jacob wasn't just called a deceiver out of nowhere. His, His father Isaac had lied about his wife being his sister because he was afraid that she would be taken. And you know what? Abraham did the same thing. Lied to the king of Egypt about his wife being his sister. Passed down from generation to generation to generation. Sometimes God moves us off this foundation because he wants us to stand and go no longer. Whatever that thing my family was known for is not going to go past me. But he has to move us off of our foundation so that we can reestablish what he's doing in our lives. Because there are things that we can't see and we cannot know. Why was everyone in the Old Testament so nomadic? They moved around so much because God wanted them to depend on him and not the things they could see or feel around them. That we become so comfortable with, you know what I'm saying? I got my Cheez-Its. I know where they are. They're up in the, they're in this little cabinet. I put them up in there and I know they're safe, right? When you're single, they're safe, right? Okay. <laughs> and you get married and you're like, there's a possibility that somebody can eat those cheeses, right? And you're like, if they're gone, who took my cheeses? Who was it? <laughs> there's only one person it can be. Now multiply that by five children, Okay. And you tuck those Cheez-Its up in the cabinet. You're like, okay, they're going to, I'll get some. You come back, the box is empty. It is gone. But (laughs) that can make us afraid of change. Because we won't be able to control things anymore. I, I won't be able to control who can hurt me. I've said before that love really means opening up your arms to more people who have the possibility to hurt you. Very simply, it is. You are multiplying it that way, right? We're so hurt during the pandemic. Oh, man, I'm losing so much stuff. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close my heart because then I won't be hurt anymore. People won't move away if I don't love anyone. But you know what that does? It kills us because we literally 
live and breathe through love. It's the way that we embrace each other. It's the way that we walk through life. But fear and anxiety of a change in transition will have us close off everything. And Jacob is teaching us so much in the midst of this struggle, saying, God, I know you have something for me in the midst of this place. I don't have a home. I don't even know if I have a future. I could be walking into an army, my brother's army, who's ready to kill me. Because Esau wanted to do everything that he could to not be like Jacob. It says that Esau purposely took a wife that wasn't an Israelite because he he knew his father wanted him to have a wife that was an Israelite. He had just, anybody ever do something the complete opposite just because your father wanted it a certain way? I was talking last night. I told him, like, the reason that I'm a finisher, I got to finish things, right? Because my whole life, I remember my dad painting our childhood home. Half of the home he painted, right? The outside. The front was blue and white, and the back was yellow and brown. (laughs) For I don't know how long it was, but it was long enough to make an impression on me. It was months. It was like that. And I'm like, so now I obsessively finish everything. Because I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like him. Well, I look like him. I sound like him. Um, you know what I'm saying? He gave me a lot of st- I already am like him. But I don't want to be like him. But there's the thing of saying, who do I want to be like then? It's so many times in transition and change, we go, what we are not going to do. But what are you going to do? And how do we break the curses that sometimes exist in our families? How do we lean into those things? And that's what I talk about. How do we not just use our own clever, cunning nature for change, but we trust in the Lord? William Blake, God provides for the lion, but the fox provides for himself. That there is always a... a, um, a temptation for us to do everything for ourselves so that we can give credit to Jesus, <laughs> right? We do it all ourselves, and they go, you know, I just want to thank, and Jesus is like, I didn't do none of that, brother. You did it all. The joke that I love to tell is the dude singing, you know, and uh, Somebody comes up to him afterwards and like, man, that was amazing. That's you singing. He's like, man, it was all Jesus. And then dude goes, it wasn't that good. (laughs) Like, we love to provide for ourselves. But we have to know that God is preparing us in transition to trust him even more. And although we wrestle, this struggle produces fruit. It produces a strength in us so that we don't go away from change. Leaders have to be able to embrace change. You have to and be able to lead through it and say, it's all right. The world is not going to blow up. I know it seems like it. We're meeting at a different time. We're going to a different location. But I promise you, God has worked out far complicated things, far more complicated things. Yes.
that what are we being taught? We are being taught how to handle mystery. That our maturity in Christ can singularly be staked on how we handle mystery. A God that we can't see most of the time, a God that we hear occasionally, how do we handle the mystery of following him and trust that he has the best in store for us? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all. Say all. Say all. All of your heart. Which that looks different for every person, but every person knows what it looks like when their whole heart is into something. And when we go through change and transition and we're hurt, we learn to read that as some. And then a percentage goes from some to about 35%, and it's like 15 But this is an activity that is meant for all of us to lean into. That he is not preparing us for what we're going through right now. He is preparing us for the next thing that we're going through. We are just having our muscles stretched. We are being stretched for the next thing that is to come. And if we recognize that, then we go, all right, God, how can I trust In the midst of this mystery, how do I know when you are not doing what I think you should do? When God doesn't do what we think he should do, we begin to make ourselves bigger than God. If we cannot embrace the mystery, why wasn't this person healed? Why did this bad thing happen? Why did this child be abused? Why was this person hit by a car? Why is this calamity in the world? Why is there poverty in the world? If, that, if we cannot handle that mystery and believe that God has our best interests in heart, then it begins to have us lean on our own understanding. You know, God, I'll trust you with all the things that I can understand. Good luck with that. There's so much in this world we will not understand. Why did God not heal that person? Why was the person sick in the first place? Because we have a real enemy, a consistent enemy. But God's heart is for us to be with him and to be growing into who he's caused us to be. He's always attempting to move us off a foundation so that we will learn to trust him with all of our heart, even in the midst of of transition, that it's so essential for us to trust his heart when you can't see his hand. I don't know what you're doing, God, like you're like doing something, but I know your heart is in the right place. Sometimes people communicate things and it's like, man, you know, I think their heart was in the right place. Trusting that I, I don't And trust me, a lot of the Christian life is like this, not being able to see it, his hand. But unless me and the leadership here equip you to be able to handle mystery, a pandemic is a whole lot of mystery. 
the next mystery we go to will be a lot of mystery. (laughs) Unless we equip you to handle that, what are we equipping you to do? To trust God when you can't see things. We're not doing what we're called to do, which is lean in to him and handle the mystery that is this life that we don't know. And I don't go, somebody didn't get healed, and I go, well, God didn't want to do it. And we talked about that last week. I don't put that in, that's not where his heart is. It's like I can't see his hand and what he's doing. It is in a different place. But we know that this transition, everything, stuff starts flying around. It starts flying around because we control our world. But he is moving us into a new place. I had this dream and uh, last night, so I haven't fully processed it, but I felt like I should share it. And I was preparing, helping prepare uh, these astronauts for takeoff. Except it was like in a pretty secret and secluded place. And it was, you know, not a lot going on. And, I, you know, we were doing all the stuff that you do in a dream to prepare for takeoff. <laughs> Which is whatever random stuff, you know what I mean? It's like... Um, and it, it's very secretive, and, you know, I feel like I'm a part of NASA and everything. And um, and then I hear some noise outside, so I go outside, and there is a war going on. And there are people marching through the streets in groups. And I go up to someone and say, introduce myself. I go, who is your commanding officer? I'm a part of a NASA flight mission. You know what I mean? And they're like, we don't have a commanding officer. And I felt like that was a, um, a metaphor for us, that we're in a hidden, kind of silent place, and God is moving us from this place, but he's not moving us from this place so we can be quiet and silent. Does that make any sense? That he's moving us into a war. And I, and I don't think it's going to be an external, like we're fighting in the streets, but it is. He's moving us into a spiritual war. It's sort of like the children of Israel when they crossed over the Jordan. The Jordan means death, right? They had manna from heaven and all this free food that they got every single day. The day that they stepped over the Jordan, the manna stopped. Why? Because now they were going to be expected to fight for their food. They were going to be expected to expand the kingdom. And this is an opportunity that God has given us to move from a silent, kind of passive place of things just happen to us, to we happen to things. The light that we carry is a happening wherever we go. And I don't say, I don't think you got to change and do anything, but we, we must begin to like meditate and understand that, that when we are walking in places, things are shifting and changing and moving. As crazy as it may seem, That's where he's moving us to. And Jacob being moved and given a new name that now all of Israel would be known for the name of a deceiver. So when Jesus says to Nathaniel, 
Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He was pointing back to Jacob and Israel being known as a deceiver. Why is that such a racist thing to say about Jewish people? That they're, they're collaborating in some way, that they're doing something deceitful, that they're lying. Because you are pointing to a history of people calling them a deceiver. And even that being in their name. But when God gave Jacob a new name, he's like, you're done with that stuff. You got a new name. You got a new history now. You're Israel. You're the beloved son of the most high king. You shall no longer be known as a deceiver. And it's not for us as people in our lives and as this community to go back to where we once were. We can't go back to Egypt, Peter. You know what I'm saying? We leave this place of passivity. We leave this place of as we were locked in a pandemic of things just happening to us. When we, we step down the street, it means that we are now happening two things. It means that we are deliberate with our discipleship. We're deliberate with our community. We're deliberate with the way we love and pursue one another. Because just as Jacob got a new name and a new history, so also are we beginning to step into a new destiny. In Matthew 11 and 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and the violent people have been raiding it. You hear this and people use this as a... uh, a justification for being violent. Just as like, you know, Jesus in the temple is a justification for being angry. Look, Jesus was angry. I can be a rageaholic. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's not what that was about, right? <laughs> that was a righteous anger. And this is actually talking about the disciples of John who were forcefully laying hold of the kingdom without permission from the establishment. They were going, we're, we're kingdom citizens. We're, let's go around and we're, we're, healing, we're praying for people. We're healing. We're walking in this new kingdom expectation that we have. We are no longer letting things happen to us. We are happening to things. That we are standing where God has called us to be. We are no longer under the passive nature of who my family always is. And is always known to be, oh man, that's, that's just who I'm going to be. The violent take it by force. Another version says, this word for violence is biazo, that means to press. That we are pressing the issue of salvation, or pressing the issue of discipleship, or pressing the issue of healing, or pressing the issue of encouragement, that we are beginning to drive and build in ourselves a hunger for his kingdom. Anybody want to be hungry? A hunger for his kingdom. You know what? Because the hungry get fed. 
that this is what begins to pull the best out of us. But it's hard because we are trained to have a middle-class existence of comfort. And everything we need right at arm's length. And what I was inspired by is one of the guys in the park who doesn't have everything he needs at arm's length, but seems to have everything he needs. And his heart and his hunger and desire to be discipled. His heart, his hunger and desire to see God manifest. And I'm like, the violent take it by force. There's a lot of latitude between us being passive and being in front of an abortion clinic or something protesting. I think we think that's what it means to be a violent Christian. But what it means is for us to, to pray, to believe those things that God was very clear about in Scripture. That he desires that all would come to him. That all would experience his goodness. It means that we are laying hold of that in our hearts first and praying that that would manifest around us. This is where we are. This is where we are heading to go and pursue a new culture. For the longest time, I wanted a new name. So many of you have probably heard this story. But the one, number one rule of names is you can't give yourself a name. A nickname. You have to let somebody else give it to you. So you kind of passively go around through life. And, and this is why I give everybody nicknames, because I always wanted one. You know, I'm like, if I give enough people nicknames, and one day I'll get one, right? So I go to this church, and they got two other Nathan there, Nathans there already. If you didn't know, my name is Nathan, my real name. Um, they got two other Nathans there already. And they're like, we can't call you Nathan, but when I prayed for people, I would say amen, and I said bam. And they're like, oh, that's your name now. We're going to call you Bam. At first it was Bam Bam, then it became Bam. That's my name now. And not that my other name was bad, but it did create a different identity in me. It made me understand that we are called to happen to people. This word is an onomatopoeia, so it's a sound that's also a word. And in, in heaven, we are all known by a name that is not our given name here on earth. And when you prophesy to people and when you encourage people, you are calling that identity forward. And you are saying this is a new way. This is a way that God sees you. No matter who said whatever about you, no matter what that teacher said, no matter what that person said that people think is so innocent sometimes, and it sticks with you your whole life, things that your parents have done, things that people have said to you, it's crazy, they stick with you your whole life, and a lot of times are stirred up in the midst of transition. And all the people in Scripture, Jacob, Paul, Abraham, where God is saying, this is a new season for you. This is a new season for us at Missio Day Humble Park, that we are going from passively going through life, but to taking hold and continue to cultivate the hunger that we have for the Lord. I know so many of you are like, man, what is this Holy Spirit about? Who is the Holy Spirit? How does that happen? That God is like cultivating this fire in you. And all I want to do is encourage that 
and see you see him manifest in your life. That you would see people come to the Lord because of the faith and consistency of your heart. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. That our name is no longer passive. I was using a word before, aggression, and my wife was like, that, that, that word just sounds aggressive. <laughs> but it, it, it's just like, if you wonder what passivity is, it's I'll let somebody else make the decision for me. I'll just kind of wait till it works out. I won't place any demands on anything because then I can't be disappointed. I won't demand anything, but I will fight change with all that I have because I know I'm supposed to be comfortable. But there's something about being aggressive in the right way and pursuing the things that are also on God's heart for us to see. That he is preparing us to move into a new era just as Jacob did, wrestled with the Lord in the midst of our unknown of where we're going and what we're supposed to be doing. And then he has a limp for the rest of his life to remember the time that he wrestled with God and won. And I'm like, what is that in our context? Oh, yeah, it's PTSD. It's, it's walking with a limp. It's everywhere you go, you, especially during change, you start to remember what happened. But my prayer is that we would be marked by God marking us. That he's not wrestling with us so that he can um, not give something to us. He's wrestling with us to see how bad we really want it. Are they just going to give up? And then in that, we grow muscles that prepare us to run the race and manage his goodness and his light. You guys want to stand up?